Hello and welcome to the Bravo Outsider Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Midwinter, joined again by Sandy Kloak. It's just the two of us today, but we've got two excellent episodes of Real Housewives that we want to discuss. We're going to talk about Real Housewives of Miami and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Uh, Sandy, just let's let's get started with just your broad thoughts on this week in, in Housewives. You know, uh, coming down from last week or whenever the... The Salt Lake City, it's hard to get your heart pumping again, to be honest, but they were decent. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, true. Actually, let's let's talk a little bit about the Salt Lake City reunion. It's not something we're going to really dive into too much, but I'm sure that you've got some thoughts. I've got a couple myself. What were, what were your impressions of it? Well, I think they're saving the best stuff for the end. And, you know, as per usual, so we've got to slog through the first two. I, I thought it was fine, you know, kind of status quo. Um, the stuff about Monica going, you know, being all cocky, saying she emailed Bravo saying their show sucked and the ratings sucked and you need <laughs> me. And then she's like, that's what I that's what I put in the email. That was my actual email. And then they put up her actual email, obviously was pretty hilarious, has been making the rounds. Emailed the email for casting like and everyone said else. I said, my name is Monica Fowler and your show sucks and your ratings are sh- and it's going to get canceled. I'm being honest. That's wow. what I said. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was fun. Um, and yeah, that <laughs> reminded me of like you see those memes where it's like translating like my thoughts to corporate speak. <laughs> it was the kind of inverse of mm-hmm. that. I really appreciated that. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, you had mentioned offline the set, which obviously was uh, a highlight. Oh, and, yeah. Um, so that was like, that was bringing us through with this theme of like theatrical drama that we found in the finale, kind of moving it from cinema to theater, which I appreciate as a theater person. And yeah, yeah, I was, totally. I was thinking like, imagine being in theater school and you're on like set design and you find yourself <laughs> as a career designing the real housewives reunion sets. Like uh, that would be pretty, I that'd be that pretty they're amazing. taking like more chances now. Like we saw the real housewives of orange County when they were in one of those like led volumes where it looked like they were at the beach. It's like the same type of set that they shoot like star Trek discovery on. And you can put like an alien planet behind, behind them. And I like that they're taking more, uh, more chances, and this set, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City set, was a very big contrast because it was entirely practical. It wasn't digital at all, and they had these big physical set pieces that were really, um, uh, like just off the wall. Frankly, they had like a pirate ship, and it looked like kind of like a tiki bar. Uh, I really appreciated it. It was a, a very like um, a visual feast. Exactly. It was like they did this this hybrid of Bermuda but frozen for salt for the Utah side of it. So they had like they had the the ship with like ice crusted over it, and it just really it you know it kind of brings to mind like frozen shipwrecks in the in the Arctic and uh, like Pirates of Penzance. I once went to a show at the uh, Pantages Playhouse here in Winnipeg, which itself is very ornate and classical and. I don't know if classical is the right word, but you know, like old, old style, old fashioned and these crazy sets over the top. It was just so beautiful, like you said, and very the the sense of theater that that I got from that was really appreciated. And it's just there behind you. 
to feast your eyes on if if you're slightly bored by catching up with people's marriage status or whatever. I I feel like they um you know there there's a very deliberate decision making process when they decide on these sets for the reunion now uh, in recent years at least like the fact that they are channeling like theater for this particular season of uh, Salt Lake City is to me it seems like a very deliberate choice to to do that just because the drama was so heightened and um yeah the characters that we're getting these portraits of are very theatric and uh just the way Meredith Marks talks <laughs> is very like theatrical the way she she uh orates it's uh yeah it it seemed like a very great choice so yeah the set definitely uh was a star of the Salt Lake City reunion did you have any other highlights from the Salt Lake City reunion that you wanted to mention? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think the only other thing, obviously, we're all waiting for us to get into like the meat of things with Monica. But um, I really like that we got back to this storyline of the the missing ring and we got a bit more context to that. It For me, that really um, was a payoff that I wasn't really expecting because I think one of the like the big themes in Real Housewives of Salt Lake City this season has been this dynamic between, you know, a mother and a child. So we saw that dynamic a lot between Monica and her mom, but we also got that with Lisa and and her son Jack and him going away and her like dealing with with this change in dynamic and to find out that this this ring was a, a symbol of that relationship was a nice little nugget that we didn't get revealed over the course of the the narrative that played out through the season at least to my memory it, it kind of like colors her reaction it paints it in a different light for me just because like if it actually is a symbol, um, which I'm taking it at, at face value that it is. I think that that really provides a lot of context to her emotional reaction. It, it wasn't necessarily about the money, even though she highlighted that. But she got a replacement ring and it doesn't feel the same because it's not the same exact ring that symbolizes her relationship with, with Jack. And um, the fact that that was at a core of her like emotional journey over the course of this season, I thought it was a really like satisfying way to uh, tie that, that storyline together. Totally. That's a good point. Cool. Well, let's get into the shows that we're going to talk about in full. Sandy, which of these two episodes were you most compelled by? I don't know. I don't know, Craig. That's too hard of a question. They were both middling. They were both equally middling to me. (laughs) No, I mean, I think that my, at first, my first impression was, uh, was Beverly Hills. Yeah. Let's, let's get started with, with Beverly Hills. So, um, off the top, I just like one of the things that really stood out to me about Beverly Hills was how this was like visually constructed this episode. I thought it was really interesting that it started off with the you know the the shopping trip and the wine tasting trip and that was all so like colorful and this actual uh dinner that they have they have like graded the color in such a like very saturated way and there's like a bloom effect on the lighting and as we watch this episode progress it transitions to like a grayscale like the next the next like core piece of this episode is the conversation between Dorit and PK and there is still like some hints of color in that in their apartment but it's definitely a lot like 
it's a lot grayer. It's it's a lot more neutral. And then by the time we get to the end of this episode where they're doing the celebration of light, everyone is in black. It's in a dark bar. And I just thought that this, the way it, it had to be deliberate the way that they constructed this because they obviously graded the color in the in the opening scene at the dinner. Like that was definitely uh, exaggerated the way that the, it was color graded and the way that it was presented with this with this glow. And to me, it really hit on the scene on the core theme of this season of Beverly Hills or one of the core themes of this season of Beverly Hills, which is transition to me. We're seeing like this transition that Sutton is making into the dating world. We're seeing this transition that Erica is making based on her new financial situation and trying to really find her footing again. We're seeing a transition within like Kyle's relationship with Mo and, and now Morgan. And we're seeing like Garcelle preparing for this transition with, with her kids going up and this um to see that kind of manifested in a visual way throughout this episode where we've got this this gradient and this transition in tone i thought was a really like compelling deliberate choice on the part of the editors and and the producers wow that is very cool i did not notice that at all i'm so fascinated by the things that you take away from this i did notice the high contrast very like bright sunny first scene i was commenting to my husband. I'm like, oh my God, it's just so sunny in California. It seems obnoxious to me. Uh, so I oh, did yeah. <laughs> I did notice that. I was like, God, it's just so bright and happy there. It's not my vibe. <laughs> so that one was definitely <laughs> obvious. <laughs> but yeah, that is very interesting. I like it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I, I, I found it like really, really compelling um and yeah so let, let's talk about that that first scene what were, what were your thoughts on it aside from it being a little <laughs> too cheery i mean it was fun it was like obviously they really hammered in like we're finally getting along this is just so good oh and like everyone had a little you know confession moment saying that and it was cute it was nice um i liked sutton getting a little wild and doing some weird physical comedy with bodies uh <laughs> she's <Yeah>. fun <laughs> i was love sutton um i don't know what do you think yeah i i thought it was enjoyable it was nice to see like a fun game for once the the game was not just like uh a deliberate mechanic for getting drama out there mm -hmm. uh, i think it still was a deliberate mechanic to like create a fun environment because they needed this like this release they needed to set up this like this new foundation of people being able to have fun with each other and not take each other seriously so that we can use that as a baseline for whatever drama comes within the the rest of this season. So I really liked that. I liked that it was framed as a birthday party, like bringing forward this idea of like rebirth because it did feel like a renewal on these relationships. Now we've got a little bit of intrigue to try to get an understanding of what actually was reset and what was just us having, having fun. Um, I also for there's something about crystal that I have found really like magnetic this season. She's not really doing much, but I feel like she's a lot more comfortable in front of the camera. I think in her past two seasons, she has come across a little rigid and, um, 
I was surprised to see her back for a third season, frankly, because I don't think that she was adding much to the dynamic, but she seems a lot more comfortable. And I feel like we're getting a lot more of her um, personality this season. It wasn't showcased a lot in this episode, but we did see her like having, she was like clearly like a happy drunk type, you know, just a little tipsy at the the dinner and having, having fun. And so it was nice to see her kind of let loose and like see her letting her guard down. And you could see it in, in her body language. It was like communicating this, this, um, uh, this confidence in, in front of the camera. So I, I like that o- overall, you know, there wasn't a lot, to this scene in terms of the the drama but i think that it was like in terms of like utility and form i thought that it was a a really important scene yeah set things up for sure i thought i mean it's it was a nice trip i think it's funny that like is her name Anne marie is going on a birthday trip with like women Mm -hmm. she doesn't know but it's reality tv so you (laughs) gotta get to force a couple things, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Suspend your disbelief. <laughs> uh, what other highlights did you have from this episode? Um, well, I guess keeping on that trip, I was interested in learning about Kyle's shopping addiction, because especially since she's just dropped one potential addiction, addiction or addictive substance from her life. <laughs> uh, so I yeah. found that. I mean, everyone has their addictions, especially if you're really rich, you can uh, buy a lot of stuff. But though lots of people that are not really rich have shopping addictions too, I hear. Uh, So I found that interesting, buying something every day, even at a gas station, because she just loves it. (laughs) That's that's interesting. I didn't like immediately pick up on that. But this idea of her substituting a previous like addictive substance with another addiction is really interesting because she's also substituting out her relationship with more uh, Mauricio with this relationship that she's got with uh, Morgan. So that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting dynamic to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the moving into the PK and Dorit scene, I'm trying to like decide if I appreciate these kind of scenes. I thought it was a good scene because it was, it felt pretty authentic as far as a like, reality tv marriage counseling session was that person a counselor or who was she i didn't even catch that yeah she was like a therapist or something like that i'm not entirely sure she didn't seem that engaged in the conversation but whatever maybe that's good but anyway i thought it was funny that pk just said like i don't think a lot of your ptsd is ptsd it's just being obnoxious that was funny (laughs) um and i but i thought it was a real uh, like i thought it was fairly authentic and felt felt like they were kind of communicating about their issues the thing that i'm not sure about is do i want this content on these shows personally i watched this for escapism and it feel like i i feel like they're really leaning into as i kind of mentioned before they're really leaning into the marriage monogamous marriage is really hard and here's the nitty-gritty of what couples go through and i'm like i'm not looking for that content i have that in my own life mm. enough like we I want some escapism <laughs> here so i'm interested in your opinion on that scene and also just the general trend i think towards this content like it's relatable content but i don't know if i want relatable content on these shows yeah that's a that's a good point i personally like I don't think that this scene was the most enjoyable that I had some like takeaways from it, but overall I didn't think it was the most um, shining example of this type of scene that we have seen, you know, as you said, increasingly recently over the, the recent years. Um, I, 
I do appreciate this. Like one of the things that I love about reality TV personally um, is less like the escapism aspect of it. But I do agree that that is important. But the fact that on reality TV, I think you have the opportunity to get fuller pictures of characters than you do in like other narrative programming. But I, I think that reality TV you have characters that are just so much more three-dimensional than you could ever write in a fictional narrative. I They're influenced by things in so many more subtle ways that, um, that would seem maybe unimportant in a fictional setting, but ultimately it does like play into their decision-making and how they operate and navigate through the world. And I think it's just a... Yeah, you, you have more real characters, even if they are exaggerated from their own personal. So I, when you see what is like influencing their behavior and you get a snippet of what they're going through at home, I think that that does add something to this. But I agree if you're going to watch it and, um, and it's like you're looking to get escapism, then that is something that, you know, would be an unwelcome addition. <laughs> Yeah, I'm torn. I see it both ways. <laughs> yeah, I think like one thing that I thought was interesting about this scene was how they cut the therapist into it. Because like you said, she was not any of her interaction was like very minimal in how they showed this. She seemed like she was just like sitting there laughing at jokes and like <laughs> not really um, trying to drive at anything specifically. They just it made it look like they were able to work this out all on their own and that um you know that she wasn't necessary to that process so i thought it was interesting that they would present it that way and uh to me it kind of gave this uh this vibe of oh they're going to be fine because they have the tools already in their back pocket to work these situations out on their own um i don't know if that's what they were intentionally trying to communicate but that's what it like it, it communicated to me Cool. Did you have any other highlights from Beverly Hills? Mm, yeah. Um, Anne-Marie shouldn't be blowing out her own candles. We don't do that post-COVID in this world. <laughs> that's my last thought. That's disgusting. But I guess they were licking toes at that lunch, so that's the least of their worries. So never mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, if if you've got a, 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 a non-thin esophagus, you got to use it. You got <laughs> to fly it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think we covered most of the things that I wanted to talk about in in this episode. I want to touch a little bit about this event at the end. And um, Anne-Marie is really like doing a lot and it does come across like really forced. I don't think that she's a natural fit for this show, but she's making stuff kind of happen. What I'm finding most interesting is when we see her and and Crystal because Crystal was like I said a very rigid character for two seasons and so when we got that small little scene where they're at the table and Anne Marie is like brings up the eating disorder and then Crystal kind of calls her on it. It gave me like a little bit of a baseline to compare like Crystal's growth as a TV personality against compared to where Anne Marie is now, because, you know, Crystal was confident and was able to be like, no, you, you said that first. Like I, I didn't say eating disorder. You did. Um, so yeah, I, I think that she is serving a purpose here just like 
for comparison, but what she's trying to do with Sutton is just like not working. I'm not like interested in this at all. It's not this smoking gun that she thinks it is. Um, It's it's just like a really bizarre choice. She's like, not to change the subject, but Sutton's esophagus. I'm like, dude, that is the most not chill (laughs) subject change you could ever try to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to talk about that, as Garcelle was saying. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, Did you have any small weird highlights that you wanted to call out? Um, Yeah, on the note of that conversation, I thought it was extremely weird that a housewife has finally used the term gaslighting correctly. Congratulations, Crystal. Yeah. I hope I'm right. I hope I know what gaslighting yeah. is, honestly. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure she used it no, correctly. Yeah. <laughs> and she said that she didn't need a dictionary for it, too. She didn't need to look it up in her medical dictionary, which was a great line. <laughs> <laughs> or any dictionary, because it's, it's yeah, not highly understood. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't have anything weird that I wanted to call out with this. So let's, uh, let's dive into Real Housewives of Miami. I'll just start i think like when i was trying to identify a theme for this episode it seemed to be about privilege to me and that's something that is like commonly explored on on these shows but i thought it was interesting when we got to see like alexia going through the apartment and it was um you know too small to this to that and we also saw that uh, with uh, Larsa and Marcus when they were exploring that at the dinner table, that very like ghoulish dinner and her talking about like, oh, uh, are we privileged? And Marcus was like, well, I didn't get on a plane until I was 16. But he's talking about like, I didn't get on a commercial flight. Because I, I know. Was at first I was private, like, oh, right? how is that possible? But yeah, no, the other, the flip side. Yeah. Yeesh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, we saw that with, with Lisa as well when she was talking about the downgrade that they're going to have to do from a 20,000 square foot house to a 3,000 square foot apartment, which is still big. Like, that, that is still very big. Yeah, I thought that that was the most pronounced mm-hmm. theme that, that we saw on on this episode. Totally agree. Uh, One other thing that I thought was really interesting in terms of how they explored things more cinematically was at the party with, uh, at Marisol's party at the end. I thought that they, they started with like a very um, objective point of view. So it was like very static shots from the point of view of like an observer at this. And it, slowly started closing into like a more like subjective point of view. And we got this transition where they were like crossfading between um, shots of Gertie as she is like uh, being overwhelmed. And it goes like into a fully like subjective up close shots, handheld shots following the action of Gertie, like making the decision to, to leave the party. I thought that 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 was just a really evocative choice that they made to present this scene that way. Um, Those were the, the like the highlights for me in terms of how this episode was, was presented. Nice. I love this. Um, (laughs) what, what What were your highlights? Um, I enjoyed the little clip of Marisol at the beginning explaining sort of her her childless status and her sort of moment at 49 when she kind of realized that. I think those are 
the real sort of that sort of character building, those real moments that that's one that I'm really interested in learning about people. And so I thought that was really a nice touch. And she she keeps it light, but it was cl- it's clearly very serious. But she also keeps it light because that's her her style. So I thought that was a nice uh, little bit of information about her background. Um, yeah, yeah, that that relationship that she's got as like a step parent, I thought was really warm and mm-hmm. healthy. Marisol is someone that has a lot of unhealthy relationships, both externally and internally. So to see a seemingly very healthy one at home, it was a nice welcome contrast. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Um, another little clip that I really appreciated felt a little chilling was, um, I guess it was in the context of her having the the medium come in, but it was a flashback to her mom, uh, giving a like devastating read of Larsa. And I oh, found that to yeah. be just like, <laughs> Oh, she said, you are very worried about men. And she's like, Oh, what? No. And yeah. she's like, you're, and it's just repeating, you're very worried about men. I'm just like, Oh, that's like, succinct beautiful that was a bit of a little bit of that theater you know that 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 drama there so i i really appreciated that moment yeah totally it was like a much more accurate read than the medium could have made what other highlights did you have um my other one that i thought was very interesting was so there's this whole thing about the you know why nicole's now the outcast of the group because she invited this woman who has a history with uh, marisol and and Alexia, and, and so she, they believe that Nicole plotted this whole lunch to set them up, and so now she's cut. But really, it was Adriana who invited her and was the orchestrator of that. But Adriana's really backed off and now wants like to be completely not connected to that and is really concerned about, or was, about it coming to light. Turns out it doesn't matter. They still hate Nicole and don't. Yeah. <laughs> and just know this is, they said Adrian is always an asshole, so it's nothing new. But what I found was interesting was in the moment where Julia's having, well, Julia was also acting weird and that was a bit interesting, but she was about to sort of tell them at the at the lunch table and Adriana is talking, I think in French, because I think I could understand it, but I, either way, she's saying like, no, 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 do not say anything. Do not say anything. And I don't know if I've seen if it's rare when you in real time see housewives like freaking out that much that they're trying to like suppress information from someone else in the moment, right? Like usually they just, you know, you roll with it and they're telling each other secrets constantly. But she was like really, really trying to make that not happen and desperately. And I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, that was really interesting. I think like it reminded me of we saw the scene with Shannon this past season on uh, Orange County Mm -hmm. where they were talking Mm -hmm. about uh, John and like her really not wanting that information to be presented in front of the camera. And it's curious that this is coming from Adriana, who is all about like making sure that the mess is in front of the camera. And this seemed like the the best possible outcome for her to you know stir stuff up um so she must like feel like her best chance of getting more camera time is because alexia and marisol she's on good terms with them like she must see that as her path to being on the show more and it um it kind of like spoke to something that we saw or actually the core of this conflict between Alexia and Marisol and Nicole is about protecting the the camera time. So I think that 
the the invite it wasn't about this past beef they did not want to welcome another friend of on who is going to steal the spotlight i think that's where the core of their concern actually lies um and so to see all the housewives be so calculated about you know the the camera and be trying to protect their their time in front of it um it is definitely we're getting a lot of gameplay as a result because this is all about you know managing information managing your position like managing your popularity and yeah someone that is not typically affected by that at least from what we've seen recently is adriana and so to for her to be that frantic about that and being increasingly threatening when she's saying you know Oh, don't bring that up now. Stop it. Like, um, yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, remarkable. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I guess, I guess, uh, and it's interesting. Like Nicole was like, mark my words. I won't show up to another group event. Like, I mean, you can mark your word. Like it's your own, you're gonna, (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna, you know, you're the one that suffers from that and you're not invited to the group events now. So that'll be easy for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I was watching this with, with my wife, Jess, and she said the same thing, like, yeah, right. But I do kind of believe her. Like if anyone is going to say this and it's going to be believable on this cast, I feel like it's Nicole. Like she has, uh, she would be the least affected by mm-hmm. having like no screen time. Cause she's got a busy job. She's got, so much money it's not about any of that for her so um Mm -hmm. yeah i i also thought about this scene that it was i was surprised by how affected she was by not getting this invite though that's one thing that really stood out to me yeah it seems like she genuinely is hurt by this she was breaking she was sort of crying a little bit or, or or trying not to do you think that the so the camera time thing is it money based or is it like fame based what are people driven by here yeah that's that's a great question i feel like it's probably different for everyone i feel like i've heard housewives like off camera who are no longer on the show talk about how it's something like you crave the the attention and like the you know the opinion of the fans and the interaction and the engagement whether it's positive or negative it just becomes addicting Mm -hmm. um I feel like that is probably what it is because uh, Miami is unique in that it was off the air for like 10 years. So these, most of this cast has the experience of, you know, having that taken away. And so it might make it a lot more real for them to want to protect it now that it's back. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Did you have any other highlights from Real Housewives of Miami? No, I think uh, mostly... We'll see. That was it. Yeah, we covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk back about the uh, circle back uh, on something that we didn't talk about. The scene at the bank with Lisa and her son. I thought it was a nice little comedic insertion in this episode. Um, you had mentioned this is like kind of a middling episode, and not a lot happened so they've got room to add things in like this and this was both funny because it started off with 
Lisa getting like an umbrella stuck in the door as she was going in. And uh, her son is like so cute, but dressed up in like a, a suit and like bringing in this um, a, a safe for his his deposit. Um, and it, and it does like circle back to this this theme of privilege that we're seeing. Like he's there. He's dressed up like a someone who is clearly, you know, upper class and uh, depositing $400 that he has saved up to his new bank account. Um, I feel like it would be tough for a child that age to hold on to $400 and wanting to spend it unless they were having their every want fulfilled by their (laughs) their parents' uh, lifestyle. So, um, yeah, I thought it was it was a fun choice to include this scene here because who's to say like chronologically when this actually took place over the course of the season. Cause there's nothing that really ties it into the, the story to indicate mm-hmm. that. Um, so it seems like a deliberate choice on the choice of the, the producer or whoever is the story editor to include that on this episode when they are focused so much on, on privilege. I thought that that was um, that was really fun. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, you touched on like Julia acting weird when she was entering the the party and this really like stood out to me and it was it was kind of confusing because the way that they introduced her on this episode, they gave her this like um, gunslinger entrance. So uh, we'll see this this often on housewives where someone will enter the the scene and they'll start kind of like on the boots and then end up like panning up to like that that hip hop gunslinger uh shot where you know it's basically like a western where someone's kicking the the dust off their spurs and then she came in and i was expecting that to indicate that she's going to be like fighting and she kind of did that in her own way but she was so awkward about it and i was curious like what your thoughts on on julia's entrance and how she operated at this party i mean i she indicated she was nervous I guess she felt like she was betraying her friend, right? She had, and she's now that has this loyalty to Alexia, I guess, or something, or a desire to, yeah, not be cut out from the main group, whatever that could, that could tie in. But she was feeling like she had to betray um, Adriana. So, uh, but I mean, I, yeah, I agree. Like she, she was set up as this sort of like, as if she would take a confident walk in there and kind of, and then she just sort of, seemed really conf- dazed and confused and uh, awkward. Yeah. So I don't really know what to make of it. <laughs> She's always a little awkward, I, but this was like extra for sure. Yeah. If if we want to read into the kind of like Western dynamics that this party scene had, which I think were there and I don't think it's like fully reaching to, to highlight them, but like she came in as kind of the white hat cowboy and she ultimately was like driven by her her morals like what she fundamentally believed to be right she ended up doing it um she just didn't do it with the confidence that i was expecting given the way that she was introduced also i really loved that kiki was wearing like a big flat brim black 
hat like a like a bad guy from a from a western and she was there ready to stir up shit the first thing we see her say is um oh is is everyone invited to this party is is everyone coming and she like makes it clear like she's asking if everyone was invited because she wants to get into like why is nicole not here and it's something that she keeps like driving at at the beginning of the scene and then again at the table she's like needling about it and she's like oh i'm just trying to figure out what's going on because i don't understand but clearly trying to stir (laughs) shit up i appreciated her like you know her living up to the the black hat villain (laughs) villain role that she came dressed for totally she's good she's good (laughs) yeah she she was great yeah also i thought the this the story that we're getting from Gertie so far this season is uh, I'm just loving how she's facing this like head on and she came to that party she was like she was the best dressed and just we're getting to see the way that she takes on a difficult situation and getting a full picture of how she, like she operates throughout um, throughout life um, yeah just really loving Gertie this season I think it's I think it's great. This would be a really tough thing to go through on, on camera as well, I think. And the fact that she's not shying away from any piece of it, I think, is uh, is really great. Totally. Uh, anything weird that you wanted to call out? I guess, like, it might be worth its own conversation, but I did not understand Marisol's gifting lunch. And I kept reading the, <laughs> the what caption thing that came on is Marisol's grifting lunch. And I was like, what, like, is this her products or what is happening here? It just seemed a little odd. Like, she's like, I just want to have a lunch and give my friends all sorts of things. I just don't have a context for understanding that, but I'm suspicious. Yeah, it seemed like a <laughs> pop-up market. Like, yeah. it was very, very strange. And Adriana was like, oh, uh, this is what Marisol does best. She uses her PR contact contacts to buy friends. And, like, maybe that was what it was she's <laughs> lined up all this this sponsorship and is just like handing out gifts i thought that that was really really funny to too. buy the friends that she already has on the show like maybe if it was like <laughs> new people or something i don't know i don't think she needs to buy friends she likes to try to yeah, get but rid she's of friends not a, she's not a mojito holder yet so she uh That's maybe true, she wants that full-time mojito then she should invite production to shop at her market or Andy. <laughs> I don't know who, who makes yeah, these there decisions. Were more gift bags the executive. There. there were more gift bags there than there were people. So, <laughs> all right. Well, maybe that's, maybe we cracked the code then after, after the cameras went off, everyone was getting goodies. <laughs> How about you? Anything um, weird? The, yeah. The, the little weird thing that stood out to me that I thought was notable was when Alexia was talking about, uh, Nicole's motivation. She's like, she's got the highest IQ. Of course she was like plotting. I thought it was really funny that, you know, she's using IQ as a metric for like positioning people in her mind uh, in terms of how devious they like have the potential to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I like the idea of a, not just like an, an intelligence quotient, but a, a deviousness quotient um, who has the the highest uh, potential to be deviance is a really funny yeah. idea and I think it is something <laughs> that could be applied to to these housewives it's like there's this cross-section of like deviance and successfulness at your deviance 
Like it should be less apparent yeah. that you're deviant <laughs> if you have a higher IQ, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, aside from that, I think that uh, that's about it. Oh, also at this Larsa dinner that we got with Sophia, uh, one thing that made it like r- feel really icky to me was just how coercing Larsa came across when she was um, talking to her daughter about Marcus. Like the fact that she was like, oh, it, it's hard to see someone else other than your dad, right? But um, if you had to, it would be him, right? <laughs> it would be him. It would be him. I and know. so it was just like, kind of like quietly, like, yeah, it would be him. <laughs> it was so uh, cringy and yeah. icky. And it was weird. Yeah, it all is. Um, do you still, are you still on the like, it's a fake relationship thing? Like, just gonna keep um, going? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I did think that I still kind of think that, but there's a little bit of a level of like cringiness to their interaction that seems almost authentic. Like, yeah, you would that's... be a bit more careful in how you presented <laughs> yeah. yourself if it was yeah. fully um, a, a fake thing. So, exactly. um, I don't know, TBD. <laughs> Unless her IQ is just so high that she's like double tricked us. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, one thing that we forgot to do for Beverly Hills, we'll get back to that, uh, is just choose our our stars. Who, who are your stars from Miami? Miami. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to, I liked Marisol this episode and Marisol's mom. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She just wins it for me. The witch. Uh, so those are my two stars. And then do I have to give a third star? No, you can just, you can just, (laughs) those are my stars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I liked Gertie a lot this episode, just, um, yeah, again, for all the reasons that I mentioned. Also, Julia just like being a little unpredictable and uh, falling into this like lawful good part of the um, the the chart. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that those are my my two stars um, for for Miami. How about uh, Beverly Hills? Who are your stars there? Um, I mean, I'm always gonna Sutton's always a star for me, and especially for her toe licking. Uh, this this episode, yeah. <laughs> she gets a star. Uh, Man, I'm going to I'm going to give Amory a star for her dogged commitment to the esophagus storyline. I mean, it's it's awkward and <laughs> yeah. terrible, but I kind of appreciate it. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I had written down Sutton, like always, always going to be a Sutton mm-hmm. fan. Uh, and, you know, she. She puts it all on the table. I love it. Um, the other highlight that I have to call out was Teddy, who's always <laughs> going to be a star in my saw mind her, as well. Her, I thought of you. <laughs> 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 she had one moment always in happy a to limousine. See her. Yeah. <laughs> oh. No, and she brought up the. Uh, she called back to Garcelle calling her a gnat. So, um, yeah, always working hard. <laughs> Will they bring her back? Will they bring her back quick? Have your letters worked yet? No. 
Yeah, no, never. <laughs> they, they have told me to stop contacting them about it. <laughs> and many other things, I'm sure. But I love that she like can be this agent of chaos, even though she is not on these shows anymore with her podcast with, with Tamara. Like, she's still able to stir the pot. And um, I just love that for her. And I don't like the um, the trend that we're seeing of people using like podcasts or whatever, anything off screen as a device for um, inflicting chaos on the show. But one, Teddy gets a pass because she's Teddy. Um, and two, that mostly just applies to people on the show, in my opinion. Like if like Teresa or Melissa use their podcast and it's like, you know, trading barbs off camera, I don't really care for that. I want the story to be told um by a storyteller like these production companies uh, those are the experts at doing this um i don't want to see this game going on off camera so much um and i especially don't like it when it's just like fans that are like trying to insert themselves into this drama and uh really that's so out of place that i just i don't like it it's it's really annoying do you listen to the two t's in a pod podcast that's uh, what's on, called, right? on occasion it's not like something that i listen to every week again i one of my like new year's resolutions for this show was to like step away from the the off-camera stuff like i feel like there's lots of podcasts that talk about that like there's like pretty much all the bravo podcasts they'll weigh into the stuff that's going off on going on off camera and um, get into the gossip. And, you know, that's something that I don't think that when we've tried to do that, we have done it particularly well um, because I'm always just like two days late on it anyways. And um, I don't really have the like strongest opinions either way because I care more about like what's happening on screen and how that comes across and um, trying to dive more into analyzing it as art, which I think is kind of our strong point on this show. I think that there's not a lot of other podcasts that are doing that and it's the most fun part for me. So um, yeah, I've been kind of trying to step away from that and not looking at what's going on in social media as much anymore. Um, and yes, I mean, we're only 12 days into the year, so we'll see what happens. And, you know, within those 12 days, we had a huge Bravo scandal that broke on screen that involved you know, social media in the off screen. So it's obviously going to be something that's unavoidable. But honestly, you know, when it comes up on screen, I think we tackle it. When it doesn't, then I don't really care about it listen to someone else who's funnier than us. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, anything that you want to circle back on before uh, we close it out here? I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Sandy. And like, thank you for stepping in while Dylan's off, like living his vagabond lifestyle. <laughs> uh, he's going to be returning next week, I believe. So, um, but this has been an awesome run. I've really had a, had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And I'm happy to jump back in. It's lots of fun. For sure. We'll be seeing you soon. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find you? Sure. I'm on Instagram at Corporeal Curios. If you want to check out my art made of hair. 
Awesome. Uh, I'm Craig Midwinter. You can just find me on Instagram at Bravo Outsider or our other socials. We're on TikTok. I don't pay much attention to it. Uh, we're on X. We're a little less active there. Um, you know, leave a comment on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Tell your friends about this podcast. Um, tell tell your parents who don't watch Bravo to listen to it. Uh, try to change their mind and convince them of the artistic validity of this medium. And um, yeah, until next week, keep on wiping.